A lively bunch, Central New York. Awesome. Was at the end of last week's passage in Romans chapter 10 that we came to somewhat of a climactic verse. We talked about the simple truth therein. It was a quotation from Joel chapter 2, and it said this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'll say it again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The emphasis is on the word everyone. Not just for the Jews, not just for the Gentiles, but for the world. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that emphasis has specificity. It's everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So for saving, one must be calling. In order to be saved, in the terms of which we've been talking about in Romans, to be saved from sin, to be saved from judgment, to receive righteousness, in order to be saved, one must call on the name of the Lord. It's an absolute necessity, this calling on the Lord for the saving work of the Lord. And so this begs the question, if it's all up to calling on the name of the Lord, how will they call? And that's exactly where Paul takes us in verses 14 through 21. Grab your Bibles, Romans 10, 14 through 21. Important question, right? If it's calling on the name of the Lord that connects to the promise of being saved by the Lord, how will they call? So we look to Romans 10 as these questions are raised. Romans 10, 14 through 21. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom... I'm sorry, in him of whom they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord... Who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing. And hearing of, I'm hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth. And their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, 
I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. One of the greatest joys that I have in being an elder and sharing that joy with the other elders of this congregation is that as we uh, meet new people and they seek out Renovation Church to be uh, their home, and uh, we were able to sit down with them and hear uh, evidence of their sincere profession of faith in Jesus Christ. What we hear in those moments is how they came to Christ uh, and how they, the circumstances surrounding uh, those uh, details that led them to call on the Lord for salvation. Really, it's their testimony, as some might call it, or at Renovation and Missio over the years, we've called it their grace story. The details and circumstances around how God weaves His grace into the heart of human beings and uh, brings them to Himself. That is a joy, is it not, Jer? To hear these stories. It's one of our favorite things when it comes to being uh, leaders and elders in the church, to see how God has been at work in people. This never gets old. And yet I want to share with you uh, the written account of an old school Baptist uh, that, that shares his grace story. And so many of you can guess who this is. You may already know, uh, uh, but maybe not. This is what he says. I sometimes think that I might have been in darkness and despair now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning. I didn't get an amen on that one. When I was going to a place of worship, when I could go no further, I turned down a court and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there might be a dozen or 15 people. The minister did not even come that morning. Snowed up, I suppose. A poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. The text was Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in the text. He began thus, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now that does not take a deal of effort. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man not need to go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. But this is what the text says. Then it says, look unto me. I, he said in broad Essex, many of ye are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look, I am dead and buried. Look unto me. 
I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend. I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look unto me, look unto me. And when he had gotten about that length and managed to spit out ten minutes, he was at the length of his tether. And then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. He then said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to having remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. And then he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist can, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. There and then, the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. In that moment, I saw the sun. And I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them the precious blood of Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon recording his conversion. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Bottom line this morning is this. Before anyone calls out for Christ, they must be called to Christ by the hearing of the word of Christ. Did you hear that? Before anyone calls out for Christ. They must be called to Christ by the hearing of the word of Christ. We see this in four rhetorical questions. Question one, how are they to call on him of whom they have not believed? That faith, trust, is a prerequisite of calling. In other words, we don't call upon someone that we do not trust. To call upon someone or something to come to our aid or to our assistance requires within us a certain amount of trust and faith in the thing that we or person that we call upon. It must be their ability, their intelligence, their wisdom, their discernment, their motives, their love, their concern. But if we do not believe, we simply will not call. Faith is a requirement for calling on someone for help. Which leads us to the next question. 
How are they to believe then if they have, of whom they have never heard? So hearing becomes a prerequisite of faith. So faith is a prerequisite of calling, but hearing is a prerequisite of faith. We do not trust in Christ lest we hear his word. Absolutely essential. Maybe to put it another way, we will not trust in someone or something that we do not know. It's inherent to trust, knowledge. If we do not know Christ, we will not trust in Christ. And if we do not trust in Christ, we will not call upon Christ. We must hear so that we might know. And that comes back to what we talked about last week, that the nature of salvation is not a doing of a work to receive, or I'm sorry, to achieve right standing with God. No, it's the, it's the hearing of a word preached and heard. A word that has come near to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hearing is a prerequisite to faith. We must hear so that we might know. And as we come to know what we hear, we then trust in it. Salvation is obtained by the hearing of a word, a trusting in a word that has come near to us in the heart. Look back at verses 6 through 8 in chapter 10, a few verses earlier. So then we ask, well, how are they going to hear them? Well, how are they going to hear unless someone is preaching, question 3. Preaching is a prerequisite for hearing. That people do not hear if someone does not preach. We hear the word of Christ through preaching the word of Christ. If there's no preaching, guess what? There's no hearing. It must be preached to be heard. It must be heard to be believed, and it must be believed to quicken within any sinner's heart a calling on the Lord for salvation. We must preach. The word must be preached for any calling to happen. So we see that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to call people to himself. This is a little bit at odds with the trends of the day. There's a little disdain, a lack of taste for preaching, for declaration, for proclamation, Oh, how we love a conversation. Let's just get together. Let's talk. Let's share ideas. Right? Let's blog about it, too. Can we hit up Twitter? Like, can we just post it on Facebook? Right? We have this whole new genre of communicating and building community. Man, conversation, the sharing of ideas, reciprocating. Man, actually, nobody even knows the truth about anything till we come together and share ideas. And out of that sharing and those experiences, we can come together to fashion a form of truth that we like and it is palatable, that we can all accept to be true. Man, and we heard that often in the early 2000s about this emergent church. Had a new way of doing things that was stepping away from preaching, from declaration, from proclamation into conversations and journaling in the back to determine meaning. 
But we see here that the gospel is a declaration. It's a proclamation to be heard that the saving work of God comes to us through a word proclaimed. No conversation. We are passive recipients of something God gives to us in the gospel message. We receive what he gives. We listen to what he says. Preaching is a prerequisite to hearing. Without preaching, there is no calling on Christ for salvation. God does not save you through a conversation. He does not warm the human heart through some sort of group process thinking. Preaching is how God calls a man to himself or a woman to himself. This comes, goes back in time to uh, an understanding of the role of the herald. Really, the word preach means to do that, to herald. The herald was the messenger of the king, right? The, the, the king had a message, and he had an authority that went with that message, but he had an instrument to communicate this proclamation, this decree to the people, and that was the role of the herald, to preach is to herald uh, a message for the king. It is to say what we said last week. It is to proclaim a word to the world that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is alive. That the battle has been won and the king is coming again. That's what preaching does. Preaching alone does this. A proclamation a declaration of a truth that as the recipients of that word and that declaration hear it, they're called to total allegiance, full submission, and of course, celebration. Our king has been victorious. Amen. Preaching is a prerequisite to hearing. And lastly, how are they to preach unless... They are sent. Sending is a prerequisite for preaching. This is a reflection of the sending love of God. That in His great purposes, this is how God has saved a fallen sinful humanity. He sent His Son into the world to become like us, to live faithfully and perfectly among us, and then to die for us, offering salvation to those who would call upon Him for such salvation. Jesus was sent from the Father to carry out the mission that he had given him. And then Jesus, upon being rising from the, uh, risen from the dead, looks to his disciples and says, As the Father has sent me, so do I send you. We're going to be looking at this this Christmas in a short series called Sent. The sending nature of God's love for sinful humanity. Now the coming of Jesus into the world is a result of God sending him here. And that preachers, proclaimers, make disciples by going, by being sent upon the commission and the word and command of Christ himself. This is required that we send gospel preachers. Why? Verse 17, faith comes from hearing, 
hearing through the word of Christ. That this is about the power of the ministry of the word in the world and in the heart of human beings. That God's word is powerfully at work in our hearts. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. That the word of God preached into the hearts of people produces a faith which motivates them to call upon him for salvation. That the ministry of the word puts a river into the desert known as the human soul. And that 2 Timothy 3 speaks of this when when Paul is encouraging Timothy, these scriptures that you've been acquainted with are able to make you wise unto salvation. That the scriptures save people. That the word of God preached is what saves. And so many of us are caught up, pastors alike, in the relevance and, and the entertainment desire. Man, we got to attract these people and keep these. we got to speak their language. we got to connect with them on their level. Amen. We're all about being incarnational. We have to represent our culture. But understand this, that the task before us is a task that focuses on the ministry of the Word in a lost and sinful world. That it is the Word of God that awakens and enlivens the human soul. Not some newfound ways to be more entertaining and more palatable, more enjoyable. It's the Word of God that saves. We put our faith in the Word of God, not even sermons themselves. We put no trust in this. We put our trust in this. This is simply an explanation of this. And this is only as good as it's consistent with this. What are the implications of this for us? If we do not know the Lord, hear the word of Christ. Hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that he sufficiently died for you and your sin. Call upon him. He's worthy of your trust. He loves you. His motives are pure. His power is infinite. His stature is unique. Trust in him and him alone for salvation. Everyone must call on him for salvation. Do so. Hear the word. Call upon him. Trust in his name. But many of you say here, yeah, I got my own great story. I did that years ago. I've called upon Christ. And I'm moving beyond the word. I'm doing something else now. No. It is the word of God that that feeds us Christians. It is the ministry of the word that sustains us. It saves us from sin and it sustains us in our salvation. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Christian, you need the scriptures. You need the word of God. That 2 Timothy 3, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The sufficiency, the sustaining power of the word of God is what we need. What does this mean for you? What are the implications of this for your life? Where your attention is, where you draw comfort, where you seek strength. We don't stop calling on the Lord. We keep calling on him. 
We keep running to him, trusting in his word, receiving strength, being sanctified day by day, more and more conformed to the image of Christ because we're interacting with the word of Christ. Not just in our prayer closets, but on Sundays we hear the preached word. There is grace given and dispensed when you come and you hear the preached word. That's why we're here. To feed your soul that it might be sustained. How many more family getaways can we have that sever us from the preached word? How much more before it weakens us so much that we wander away in our sin? Hebrews warns us of this. So you just want to pad numbers, you just want to count seats. That has nothing to do with our motivation when we call you and encourage you to participate in weekly corporate worship. When we say it's better than a vacation. It sustains you in a way that no getaway can do. Need the preached word. How much weaker can you get in neglecting such a duty, such a privilege? How much farther can you, can you go from the, from the path before you are wandering away into falsehood and sin? It is the ministry of the word. Faith comes to hearing. Faith stays to hearing. And that hearing is the word of Christ. Is there anything more important for the Christian life than hearing, interacting with the word of God? That's how faith comes. And that's how faith stays. Because it is the word of Christ preached and heard that quickens and sustains faith in our heart, that keeps us calling out for Christ in a state of complete dependency. I don't know about you, but all of this just points me back to my own story. I don't need to read Charles Haddon Spurgeon's story to know that it is the preached word that called me to God. That it wasn't John 3.16, the simplicity of that verse about a love of God the Father that sent His Son into the world. That if I believe in Him, that I'll have life. I didn't hear that week in and week out. I hear of a God that, if, that um, He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him, John chapter 1. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, to them He gave the right to be called children of God. Children of God. Children not born of human will or of blood, but children born of God. Hearing that week in and week out grabbed a hold of my soul. Do you remember those days? Do you remember the day that Christ called you to himself through the preaching of his word and to the hearing of the gospel? That's how people call. They call because... They've been called. They call upon Christ because they've been called to Christ. How? Through the hearing of a word concerning Christ. This is of urgent necessity. It is of urgent necessity for our church to be reminded and remain committed to this ministry of sending gospel preachers into a world that does not know and has not heard the gospel. That our challenge is not relevancy, but accessibility. 
We must send gospel preachers into the world to the 90,000 people that live in these suburbs. We must be broken for this. We must be radically committed to this. Because if we do not send gospel preachers, they will not hear, they will not trust, and they will not call upon Christ for salvation. We are God's chosen instrument. We are his sent people. We are his word-proclaiming, spirit-empowered people that God uses in the world to carry out his purposes and plans. We must be undistracted in this focus. We must raise up and send out more gospel preachers. That's why we do missional communities. That's why we're annoying about formation groups. This is not about padding numbers. This is about the mobilization of our people to the purposes of God in the world. The very reason we still exist in this world. That's why we gather in corporate worship. We worship God, yes, but we preach the word that it might be in your heart that you might bring it to the world in which we live. That's why we're investing in new leaders. That's why Equipped has been our focus for the last two years, a leadership development community, because we recognize that this is what the Lord has called us to, investing in new leaders, raising up elders, pastors, preachers, church planters, missionaries. How does that happen? The church invests. The church raises up. The church continues to minister to, to the, uh, the word to its people. It's all about the ministry of the word. It's all about the ministry of the word. And I want to just add this as a privilege and a warning a little, a gracious warning, a radical commitment to this. Understanding the necessity of sending and preaching and hearing and believing and calling. Understanding the necessity of that. Understanding the eternal urgency of that. I want to just say this one thing. That it will cost us much. It will cost us time. It will cost us choices that we make. Can't do that because I'm about this. That's cool, but got to do this. That's a wonderful opportunity, but I'm committed to this because this is who I am. It's going to cost us opportunities in this world. It's going to cost us money. It's going to mean sacrificing some of the joys that this temporal world offers us, and we're going to start giving like crazy to see this happen. Gospel preachers raised up and sent out. Churches planted all across the northern suburbs, all the way to Inverness, Scotland. It's going to mean it's going to hurt a little bit financially. It's going to cost us comfort. Yeah, but I like my church. I like the people there. Getting comfortable up at Reno. It's going to cost us comforts going to cost us conveniences. Yeah, but I'm closer there. It's easier. It's better. Oh, again. Oh, again. Believe me, I feel it. It's going to cost us emotion. But understand this, the cost is minimal compared to the benefit. Oh, the cost is minimal compared to the benefit of seeing men, women, and children hear the word, their hearts warmed by the word, and come to a saving knowledge of Christ. The cost, way minimal compared to the benefit. Amen? 
So let us be radically committed to preaching the word, sending out gospel preachers. Why? Because before someone calls upon Christ, they have to be called to Christ by hearing the word of Christ. That's why. So it's as simple as that. We just are telling everybody about Jesus. Just make him known. And then everybody comes to Jesus, right? Because the real obstacle is they've never heard. The real obstacle is they don't understand. They don't know it. So if we just get it out there, if we just educate them, if we just put information, we're in the information age, if we just get that information out there, then everybody will get saved. Right? Wrong. Hearing the word of Christ is no guarantee of believing the word of Christ. I say that with no joy in my heart. Hearing the word of Christ is no guarantee of believing the word of Christ. Not all that hear believe. Period. Not all that hear believe. What does Romans 10 go on to say? Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. It goes on later. But I ask, verse 18, have they not heard? Indeed, they have heard. Speaking of the unbelieving Jews. Verse 19, but I ask, did Israel not understand? Rhetorical answer, yes, they did. That for unbelieving Israel, hearing and understanding were not the obstacle in the way of them believing. There was something deeper going on in their hearts concerning this word of Christ. And there may be something deeper going on in your heart. You may have heard this your whole life. You may understand it completely. You may be able even to preach it better than I can. That's not that hard. But your heart still may be very far from sincerely, incredibly believing this word. And it taking root in your hard, idolatrous heart. That the true obstacle for unbelieving Israel was their own heart. They had a history of hearing, a history of understanding. But sadly enough, they had a history of not obeying, a history of worshiping their own gods, of their own making. Because it was not, at the end of the day, an issue of hearing and understanding. It was the hardness of their heart. It was their stubborn obstinate, obstinate, idolatrous nature that kept them from embracing the word that they heard and understood. Because hearing is no guarantee of believing. Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? Isaiah 53, 1, which we read already, which is right here in the text. The rhetorical answer? Lord, who has believed? No one. You go on the rest of Isaiah 53, what did they do? They killed the servant of the Lord. They rejected him. They beat him. They spat on him. We see that is fulfilled fully in the person of Jesus Christ. They saw him. They heard him. They witnessed the miracles. What did they do? Rejected him. Who has heard? Who has believed what they heard? No one. Not only that, the text goes on to get back into this 
uh, this tension between human responsibility and divine sovereignty, quoting uh, Deuteronomy 32, where through Moses, looking at an idolatrous people that continue to fashion their own idols, understanding who they were, predicting, he says, listen, in judgment, I, God says through Moses, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So why are they not believing? I will make you jealous. I will make you angry. I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. I'll show compassion on whom I will have compassion. It's their hard heart, idolatrous nature. But it's also in the purposes of God to save the Gentiles. Even in the midst of their jealousy and their anger. God is at work in their heart. Even their lack of belief, as we've already said, is fulfilling the purposes of God in the world. That His nature is being made known. Moses confronts Israel's idolatrous nature. They did not want their hearts. They did what their hearts wanted to do in the face of God's revelation and salvation. They worshipped idols and they made their own gods. I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Grace extended to those who weren't even looking for it. Unbelief is a sad reality. It's a tragedy of eternal proportions that we must wrestle with. And there are specific people in our lives that we know that they've heard it time and time again, but they continue to reject it time and time again. That there's some uh, roadblock to them trusting. We see that there's a narrow gate and a wide gate. That The wide gate that leads to destruction, everybody's going there. But there's a narrow gate that leads to life that few enter. Not everyone is, that's hearing is obeying. Not everyone that hears is trusting. And we should be broken for this. This should bother us, as it does Paul. This whole section is about Paul saying, man, if, I wish I could be accursed and separated from Christ if they would be saved. Brothers, my, my heart's desire is that they may be saved, chapter 10. He's broken for Israel. There are specific people in our lives that we're broken for. Real names, relatives, that hear and reject, hear and reject, and show the obstinance of their idolatrous heart all the time. We should be broken for this. This should bother us. Some of our family members be the hardest ones to watch struggle. People close to us, our own blood, and we weep, and we should. And we pray, and we trust, and we ask, and we share. And it just seems like time and time again, thud, thud, thud. So we just need to be honest and open about the sad reality of people's unbelief. And that they hear and they understand, but they willfully, stubbornly, obstinately, with a contrary nature, as God is holding out his hands, 
they say, no thanks. I'm out. Should sadden us. But even in the midst of our brokenness, there's still great hope for them. There's still great hope for them. There's still great hope for the people. Right? Because who knows what God is doing in their heart and when He's going to do it. We don't know. Only God knows. But we do know our calling. And we do know the way in which they respond is by hearing the word of Christ. So till, till the end, we will continue to be faithful to present and proclaim the word of Christ. Call them to Christ. Love them. Serve them. Pray for them. Weep for them. But ultimately, proclaim Christ to them. Look ye, all the ends of the earth, to Christ and be saved. We may look at somebody and have no hope for them, given what we've seen in their hearts. But understand this, that no sinner is out of the reach of God's powerful grace, powerful word to enliven and quicken faith. And no sinner is too powerful for the gracious work of God and his word that is preached. So there's always hope. Think of Paul's own conversion. Why are you kicking against the goads? Took one word. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. One word. In God's perfect way, in God's perfect timing, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Why are you kicking against the goads? I'm trying to lead you. Paul, why are you kicking against the goads as I prick at your feet to lead you as the oxen were led by the goads? Why are you kicking against it? Or the thief on the cross A life of criminal activity, undeserving of salvation. He looks to Jesus in his final moments on the cross and says, Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say even in his last hours and last breaths? What does he say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. While there is still breath in their lungs, there is still hope for their salvation. So let us be faithful to proclaim the gospel. Let us be faithful to minister the word of God. Let us give ourselves to it. Let us be radically committed to sending gospel preachers. Let us constantly give our time to what fuels us and sustains us and keeps us the word of God. Let us come to worship expectant to be fed and to learn, to be sustained by the gospel doesn't just save us for justification. The gospel saves us for sanctification. We never get enough of the gospel. Just maybe. As we continue to proclaim the word of God in like manner, look to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. Maybe in that word, the people that we are praying for and weeping for, so close to us. Maybe every man, woman, and child who have opportunities throughout these suburbs to preach the gospel to, maybe then and there we will hear them record words like this. There and then the cloud will be gone. The darkness will roll away. In that moment, they will see the sun and will rise and sing with the most enthusiastic of them, of the precious blood of Christ. Amen?
before anyone calls out to Christ, they must be called to Christ. Through the hearing of the word of Christ. All God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, it is your word that creates. It is your word that reveals. It is your word that saves. It is your word that sustains. I pray that the word preached today of Christ would be heard, truly heard. Let he who has ears to hear, let him hear as Christ said. I pray that all of us today would truly hear, that it would warm our hearts, and that we would be inspired by your Spirit to obey the gospel. Obey the gospel's call to salvation, and obey the gospel's call to preach and to go proclaim the saving message of Jesus Christ. Oh God, save us this day. Sustain us every day until Christ's return. We pray this in his name. Amen.